Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with John Riddle, who is currently starring in the off-Broadway smash parody musical hit, Titanic. He will be returning to the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway here shortly. Of course, you also probably know him as the original Prince Hans of the Southern Isles in Frozen on Broadway. This is the second time in fairly short order that I've spoken with John here on the podcast. We previously talked back in, I think, March when he was still part of Phantom of the Opera. He left that show temporarily to be able to do Titanic. As we talk about in the conversation, he will be returning to the show. I'm assuming those dates will be announced here shortly because originally Titanic was scheduled to wrap up at Asylum NYC on September 25th. However, the show announced after John and I spoke that it will now be running through November 6th off-Broadway. And as John alludes to, I don't know if he was talking about this extension or perhaps something else, maybe a move to a more permanent venue. I don't know, but it sounds like there might be something in the future for Titanic. And having seen it, yeah, it could run forever as far as I'm concerned. It is so much fun. Um, if you are not familiar with it, it is a very goofy, very silly take on the iconic 1990s movie Titanic in which this version is narrated by Celine Dion because, of course, Celine is played by Marla Mendel, who is also one of the co-authors, uh, along with Constantine Rasuli, who plays Jack, and the director, Ty Blue, is the third co-author. We, of course, will have links in the show notes to where you can purchase tickets to see Titanic at Asylum, which you absolutely should. And I also have links to John Riddle's social media information. So without further ado, here's my conversation with fellow Ohioan John Riddle. All right, so my first question is the one that I was thinking basically the entire time I was sitting watching Titanic, but <laughs> it, it is like how – I know you're professionals, but how the hell do you get through that show without just absolutely cracking up like practically every other second? Well, we don't always succeed at that. <laughs> okay. That makes totally me feel honest. better. That makes me feel better. We don't always succeed. I – um. I try my very best to, uh, to you know, like it's it's kind of our job to not <laughs> to not laugh. It's partly because um, you know when we've lived with these jokes for a long time, but sure. I have to tell you, like when we the first day we opened up this script, like there was one joke that I say where I I turned the page and I hadn't I hadn't read the script yet, so I turned the page and said this line, and I couldn't go on because I was in hysterics laughing. Um, but there are nights and the way the show is built, it's like a little bit different every night. So there are moments where stuff like sneaks in and we can't help, but, but laugh with the audience, you know, like on Saturday night live, when you see the, oh, yeah. when, when they like break and they start laughing, it's like so joyful for the audience too. So like, it's kind of that show where we can kind of get away with it, but we do our very best to, to stay on track. Yeah. And there, there was a moment in the, uh, the night I was there and I, I couldn't tell if it was scripted or not, which is probably a, a credit to all three of the authors, but Celine, I guess like does an improv section every night, or at least that's the way it's now written. That, 
that is improv every night and she does marla is she's so brilliant and does something different every single night and to the point where she's like you guys give me ideas because i'm running out of stuff to talk about we're like you can recycle stuff but marla's marla's such a genius that she she just comes up with something crazy every night but that that is improv every night i mean absolutely brilliant and the the night i saw it and i don't i i guess i i think what it was is she mentioned the fact that constantine loves brussels sprouts or something and <laughs> And he lost it. He couldn't go on. And and I've seen plenty of shows where breaking is built into the script, but that felt natural. So I appreciate the fact that you confirmed that that moment was yes. real. Yes, that's a real. That's a very real moment. Well, that's a very real moment. I, I can't. I, I just. I, I couldn't take it for for the entire time <laughs> I saw it. But I mean, for you, you've obviously done a wide range of. I would say fairly broad characters to different degrees. Obviously Phantom is in a lot of ways, melodrama and, and frozen is based off of an animated show. So there's a certain, you know, broadness to that character as well as in those two shows leading in, you know, to this one that most people are familiar with you with, but as the villain and kind of in a lot of ways, not in every way, but in a lot of ways, the straight man to a lot of these, you know, really kind of crazy, wacky situations. Does that change how you approach a character? Um, do you have to kind of ramp things up a little more or pull things back as you're, you know, kind of going into each performance? I think like, um, you know, it's something we talked a lot about in this rehearsal of this particular show is, you know, like, in a in a big like broad comedy like this it can go one of two ways like it can either um you can sort of do like the waka waka funny faces kind of clown performance or what and what i think we've tried to go for and what how i approached titanic specifically is if you if these characters believe in what they are saying and believe in this situation that they're in you know, we're all familiar with the story of Titanic or of Titanic in the movie, but ours is like we kind of turn it on its head and send it up. So, but if you play this script that they've written brilliantly with with all the conviction of the world as if it's like a high piece of drama, it automatically becomes funny. Um, I don't know why exactly that works, but it does. So I try to um you know, there's moments, of course, where there's a little bit of clowning going on. But I think the most what makes it successful is that um, we are these these sort of archetypes that people are familiar of, and we're we're doing it sort of dead serious, and that's where the comedy comes out because it can walk a line of like of going into this other direction that sort of like makes fun of it, and then it it takes the comedy away. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like, it's, I haven't done a big comedy like this. So the first couple audiences that we ha I haven't done one in a while, I should say. And, and so the first couple audiences that we had, you know, you kind of have to jump in and like, it's truly the last character that gets in any yeah. show, but especially a comedy, it's like the last character that gets added in the rehearsal process. So, you know, we went out there and we had to be like really on our toes to, deliver the material and listen to we had we had to learn where the laughs are and now we kind of know where those are and we can cut and navigate that every night because it does change a little bit but typically we can count on certain um certain jokes 
every night. So it, that's that's part of the fun of it, you know. But I have to say, it's been such a it's been amazing for me as um, it's been so fun because I went right from I was rehearsing Titanic during the day and going and performing Phantom at night. So it was very like very Jekyll and Hyde vibes. And um, it's been so fun for me to because it it couldn't there, these characters are like kind of similar I suppose you could find the similarities but the styles are very different and it's um so it's super fun to me that for me to do a 180 and and go do this big broad comedy that we're doing. And you mentioned the broad comedy and the the different styles between this and Phantom. I. I I feel like this is a question I have to ask because this is certainly not an area of my expertise, but is Titanic camp? Like, does that fall into that oh description? Gosh. Yes. Titanic is, you know, like camp has made this resurgence in the last few years into the zeitgeist. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, conversation about what is camp mm-hmm. right now. And, um, if you go back to specifically Susan Sontag's definition right, of camp, yeah, yeah. which I'm not, I'm not going to be able to quote right now, but Titanic is absolutely high camp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I'm Can't glad that you, yes. yes, I'm glad that you gave me that confirmation because, like you said, the definition of camp is very important to a lot of people. But to me, being an, a novice in the definition, I, I feel like this felt like camp and I ate every little bit of it up. Yeah, this is, this is very high. I think some, some might even call it high camp. Okay. So, so yeah, what makes right. it, what makes it high versus low camp? Um, do you know what? I wish I could like, I wish I had like a solid definition. I've actually read bits of her book, but it's, I might butcher this completely, but it's like making fun of something in a in an artful way. That okay. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, trying totally. to think of like a, I'm trying to think of another like another um, another version of of camp. You know, like a lot of a lot of drag is is yeah uh, high camp. You know, it's like um, it's like this. They take this thing that is could be like that you could make fun of or um, poke fun at. But then it's done in a really uh, artistic, cared-for way, and that becomes camp. Then you know it happens a lot in fashion, and yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I should I should have my, the definition, <laughs> the proper technical definition on my on my cuff, and I don't. Um, so I don't know. Maybe who's ever listening to this can probably. Uh, yeah, the academic definition. Somebody's yeah, got that, yeah. Somebody's somebody's gonna have something to say about it. But yeah, I would. Um, I can say with confidence that Titanic is yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and and obviously, I, I I think it's safe to say that one of the selling points and things that make Titanic so uh, compelling to so many audiences is that not only is it that Titanic story that we all know and love, but that celine dion music being infused into it whether it's something from the original film or not like that adds layers of not only nostalgia but probably a little bit of camp as well um yeah when you come celine dion is camp oh my god yes yes in so many (laughs) and that feels like that's evolved since the 90s as well like she's almost playing a, a parody of her earlier self at times yeah yeah it's this sort of fascinating thing isn't it it's it's like it's nuts 
Yeah, it is. It's wild. Uh, so, but you were gonna ask, you were onto some interesting question. No, no, no. Well, I I just wondered. First off, what is your relationship with Celine Dion, both as a singer and and all of the the stuff that she's done um, in her career that's been cataloged in this show, but then also as the persona that she now inhabits. Yeah, it's like I I've so you know I feel like she, Celine is having this resurgence, and I'm not really sure what it is, but. Like I've always been a huge Celine Dion fan. When I was in college, we all used to get stoned and watch her New Day <laughs> DVD. Like I, we watched that. Like I don't know how many hundred. Like it had to have been over a hundred times that we watched this. And it like not only is she's just like a show person, but she's also this crazy technician. Like it's it's so crazy to to sing. You know, like I sing on on eight shows a week for the last few years of my life. And it's very demanding. Like it, it is like an athletic endeavor to put it mildly. And sure. This woman, like this woman has, she lives like a monk and she, her whole entire being is um, in service of this. I hate to sound cheesy, but like she has this insane gift that not many people have. And it takes a really special person to have the the discipline and the dedication to I'm really going off on a Celine, no, 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 please, um, I worship it. right now, but, but like she, to have that dedication to what she does, like she like lives in like a humidified, a humidity controlled room, like most of her life. And like, I don't know, to, to keep that level of, um, of performance at, her age, you know, she's still, she's not, she's not old by any means, but like to have that yeah. longevity of that, of her, of that instrument is so insane. Like it, and it, it, you know, like I'm going to get tragic for a second, but like Whitney Houston was that yeah, and she didn't take care of it in that way. And it's like, that's where like, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, like to have those gifts that it takes so much to nurture that and to maintain it. And, um, so, so that's my, um, Celine is divine to me for that. And I also always say like, if you need a voice lesson, go and just like replicate Celine's sound, which people sort of like make fun, people like send that up, but there's something to the way she sings that is, that allows her to do that. And it's like, it's so healthy. And, um, and if you, there are times when I'm like, huh, how do I sing this? Like, Truly, I'm not kidding. Like, how would Celine sing this? You can usually figure out how to make it work because she just, she's like, she's such a technician. So I think like there's this funny thing where she's made this resurgence. You know, pop culture, we're sort of obsessed with the 90s. Again, I'm not really sure why that is. It's like coming up in fashion and even in music and stuff. And so I think that, you know, Celine's still around and we're sort of, um, we're sort of like having this this like renaissance with Celine again. And when you pair that with the nostalgia of the 1997 movie Titanic that we all love, it sort of has created this magical little thing. And I think that that's what audiences are experiencing right now. So it's, it's super magical. It's that's interesting. The, the, the way you talk about Celine made me 
think of something, and I don't know if you saw this. It was all over Twitter or something the other day or earlier this week or something. The uh, Buck Walter, who's the manager of the New York Mets baseball team, which not sure if you're familiar, but he had this yeah. little thing this week where he talked about he went and saw, I guess it was Music Man, and it started him thinking about all of the ways that baseball and Broadway were similar. And it wasn't necessarily something that he talked about in terms of like, the physicality of what it takes to be a professional athlete and a professional performer, whether it's an actor or a singer, but like the way you described the way that Celine takes care of her instrument and her voice is not dissimilar from what, you know, a professional athlete has to do to, to make sure that they are at peak, you know, performance in season. And obviously having been a part of a number of, you know, pretty intense Broadway shows, like I, I would imagine that even beyond voice and just the physicality, like that's something that you have to think about, every day as a performer yeah we it's it's funny because like i i'm a very social person and like i love happy hour and i love like on a friday i want to like go have a beer at five o'clock with my friends and um or like at night when i finish a show you know people come see the show and they're like come on let's go get a drink and like there's so many times where i have to be like you guys i love you so much thank you for coming but i have to go home because I have to do two shows tomorrow or even if I have to do one show tomorrow. So it's like, it's this very tricky line that you have to walk of how do you take care of your body and your mind and your soul and also um, be able to do this eight times a week. It is like, it is like a a baseball player. Like I, my friend is um, who I went to high school with is married to uh, um a a professional baseball player and we we talk about this all the time like he has joe has like no life because his whole life is in service of the game and it's um it's not dissimilar to to what we do in the theater so yeah but you have to you know it's like that it's kind of this battle that that all of us play with ourselves it's like well i but i love this thing so i'm willing to give this up give you know xyz up to to go to go do this thing that you know for better for worse we signed up for (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well i i make it sound like a prison but it's not no but i know i mean it is i mean it's you it's with any anything that you love there are gives and gives and takes and you have to kind of you know accept the sacrifices that go into it so yeah Absolutely. I, I won't take too much more of your time, but you talk about the fact that like when you read this script for the first time, there were moments where you couldn't go on. And I don't want you to spoil any of the jokes necessarily that are in the show, but have there been moments, either something that was cut at some point, because you've been with this show, you know, on and off for a while, or maybe one of Marla's incredible improv moments that just like sticks in your head as being not only hilarious, but emblematic as to what the type of humor and experience you get when you go see Titanic is. Yeah, well, it's like, um, the thing that I don't know if I'll be able to come up with like a specific uh, moment, because there's, there's, actually been so many (laughs) nights where like just shit happens that um that is that we can't plan for and it's unpredictable and it's it's kind of this funny i've never experienced this in a show before because usually you just like the words are on the page and you go out there and and say the words right and but this show is um it's sort of this hybrid mix of 
of we have the script that we deliver every night, but there are all these moments that are built in intentionally to the show that leave room for, um, you know, this person says, said this earlier on. So we piggyback on this joke later that recalls to that, you know, that thing. So it has this element of improv. And I love like you were asking that moment that Marla has, like, does she actually make that up every night? And there are all the, I love when the audience is like, what, like the, the audience is always sort of mystified of like, that was me. What that is was made me. up yeah, yeah, yeah. and what are you guys making up and what are you not? And like, are you actually laughing because they make like, and it really is um, without giving anything away. Like it really is um, every night is different. And there's, we have so many people who are coming back to see the show, like a second and third Somebody saw the show like 11 times, I think, which the um, the run hasn't been that long. I know. Well, we'll have to check in on that person. Yeah. But, um, um, but it, you, people are coming back because it is different every night. And it's like whatever audience we have in that space, it's also a super intimate space that we're in. So it's like, everybody is, everybody is very much in the same room and going on the same ride every night. So it's, it's just like super, super fun. And it's quintessential um, live theater. And it's, it's like quintessential downtown New York theater. So we said the other day, they were like, this is why we live in New York for these types of things that could only happen here. So um, it's so cool to be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, and and it's, it's so interesting to me that you, I mean, literally, like you said, you were pulling double duty uh, on two shows that really exemplify the the very stark differences of the types of theater you can get in New York. You've got Phantom with this long running, big budget, iconic show, you know, very legit singing and, and a very serious topics. And then you go down to the Asylum NYC for this limited run of this show that is absolutely bonkers, bizarre and funny. Uh, and you're literally you know, right on top and in between the audiences, uh, they really could not be, despite some of the, the similarities that you mentioned between your characters, couldn't be more different in terms of the show. That's- they, couldn't, they couldn't be more different. And yeah. I like, I, I truly feel like the luckiest actor in New York yeah, right that's now. Yeah, that's gotta be great. That um, I get to exercise both parts of of my being. So I feel, um, I feel so lucky and I'm having truly one of the best summers of my life because I get to do the thing that I love and I'm, I'm having so much fun doing it. So yeah. I'm, I'm a lucky guy. Yeah, that's very yeah. clear. And, <laughs> well, good. and when, when you stepped back from Phantom, the press releases all said that you were going back. Is that still the plan when Titanic um, is over? Yeah. Well, actually I, um, Phantom, I'm still in the middle of my run at Phantom and they very, very graciously yeah. let me out to go do Titanic. So I have one more week at Titanic left and um and then i go back up uptown to go uh do phantom for a few more months so um yeah so and then hope we'll see what um we'll see what happens with titanic in the future we're um hoping that that we have a a life beyond this so we'll see i don't know amazing yeah well congratulations on everything uh as a fellow ohio native i uh love i love love seeing you do all these incredible things and uh very excited for whatever's next whether that's just going back to phantom or whether titanic has uh, another life here in the future I, i will be uh anxiously awaiting word well we will see 